Welcome to the For Real For Real podcast, where we share our realities and perspectives on what's going on in the world of pop culture, sports, relationships, society, and much, much more. All while keeping it real and getting into the shits, as we like to say. This is your boy, Big Easy. I'm Jeff Brooks, the Renaissance Man. And they call me T-Mac, but my mom calls me Trevor. Today, we're gonna cover Team Lawrence and Insecure, Black Fatherhood, and Juneteenth. Let's get into it. Yeah, man, we back. All the boys are still out it, still grinding, still talking to one another, man. How you guys feeling, man? How was your week? No complaints. You know, living, surviving. Unfortunately, the police are still doing what they're doing, but people are still out here. They're still trying to get stuff done and make real change. So that's always a good thing to see. But, you know, we all have to focus on, you know, being able to take care of ourselves and take care of each other. Let's keep moving. How are you doing, man? man? Yeah, man. Uh, it was a decent week as well. Stay very busy, but got a chance to watch some TV. I'm sure we're going to get into that. Big week for the Lawrence side. Big week for a potential NBA. There's a lot of things going on, man, and the world's opening back up. So, I mean, for me, met more people. And each day I'm just checking my temperature to see if I contracted the coronavirus. But uh, so far, so good. Oh, man. I feel like those memes of how's it go, what I expected my year to be like versus what 2020 actually showed me, however it is. I feel like every day is getting worse, man. And just when you thought all could be right in the world and you could find solace and kind of the experience and the joy of watching Insecure, the world comes crashing down and that perfect relationship bubble is bursted all in one moment. Thanks to canola oil, a.k.a. Candela, a.k.a. Centronella Candle, a.k.a. Condola. So my question to you guys is, who didn't see this coming? I mean, this was going to be the happy endings upon happy endings. And of course, you know, because Insecure is a very realistic show, all our hopes and dreams came crashing down. So clearly it was too good to be true, no? Yeah, I saw it from a mile away. I feel like as soon as you saw those messages where she's blowing up his phone, talking about, hey, we need to talk. You already know what that is, man. They was laying the groundwork early. Yeah, I think the show tries as hard as possible to like stay based in some reality. And like the reality is if you date and you have sex with people, this is a thing that could happen. And even if we kind of like rewind and go back earlier into the season where Issa's dating TSA guy and, you know, condom falls out, right? These are the things that could happen, right? So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's a real thing that, that happens to people. I mean, yeah. you didn't feel for him even a little bit like in the course of their of his discovery where he was like, I, th- I thought we were being safe. Like, you got to feel that. No, nah, man, I, I definitely I definitely felt for him, man. My, my heart definitely broke for Lawrence. I mean, he's a good guy with good intentions. He was doing it the right way. You know, he took the time apart from Issa to level up, and he came back to be the man that she deserved. And just to find out that she's the man that she don't want right now. So I, I feel bad for Lawrence. I feel bad for Issa. But I think they could get through it. And baked rabies are – now, that's been a long break, <laughs> clearly, right? Like a two-year break. But Dwayne Wade told us how to do it. So, don't blame, don't bring that happy wave union family into this, man. Sully, their name is nonsense. But it is interesting, though. Like, you have that, you know, it's a sitcom, but Insecure as a show is, is something that the way they put the show together does bring a lot of reality to like how they cover the city, the places they go, the types of experiences that they have. So, it makes me think about just what it's like dating in LA. And like how that fairy tale doesn't really come true a lot, especially for black women. So I wonder how much that led into them having the story play out the way that it did. Yeah. So, I mean, what can we expect now? Because, you know, this was a very heavy way to end what I thought was a pretty good season. It, it did carry a lot of serious themes. But yeah, I mean, season five is coming up and we're going to start with a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of uncertainty. So can Issa and Lawrence survive? This revelation, does condolences cause issue for a potential Issa and Lawrence reunion? I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, there's definitely couples who are doing this, but does this translate well into uh, the Insecure show with uh, co-parenting? I mean, I feel like they they definitely took a page out of the, the game book 
for those old enough to remember the great legacy of Derwin Davis and med school and Janae, his break baby side piece. I mean, I wonder if that's something that could work mainly because like she also says something to him along the lines of like, you can be as involved as you want to. And she brings up the fact that she, I think, was engaged to some other guy that wasn't a part of the actual show, but in her backstory, got impregnated by him, had an abortion, but this is the baby that she chose to keep, right? So like, what does that do for his relationship and the way he views her and how they kind of carry on going forward as co-parents when they have this you know, tense situation of how this life kind of came to be? Well, yeah, I think for Lawrence and, and what anyone who's rooting for him would want is that he doesn't take the bait, right? Like the be as involved as you want to be thing. No, be involved because that that's also going to be the other part of the will they or won't they if Issa and Lawrence ever stay together is that what we know is that she would totally think he ain't shit if he's someone that has a child over here that he doesn't connect to, right? And ultimately, when it goes back to how season two ended or whatever, was the dream of if Lawrence did propose and all those steps, right, and having a child and all getting married, all that, like all those things are still up for grabs in that way. The only difference is Issa wouldn't have the firstborn. That's kind of what was discussed in a little bit in the after show. Yeah, well, this is not a fairy tale, and I think Insecure does a great job of that. I mean, Issa, great woman. And Lawrence, great man. So I think that they'll do their best to work it out. Clearly, it's not ideal, but this is almost like the new nuclear family. And I think it just is a lesson to show that family is very important. Making sure that a child has both parents in their life is very important, especially in the Black community. So I think that they'll showcase, you know, just knowing the type of writer and person and creator that Issa Rae is, is that they'll show a way for the three of them to be responsible co-parents and bring up that baby in a world full of love. We definitely need more of that in this world. And uh, I think definitely you'll, you'll see some themes going on currently in society right now played out in next season of Insecure. And you'll see how love is the ultimate neutralizer to all the chaos that's going on in the world. Because it's got to be scary bringing a child up in this kind of environment. But I'm rooting for them, and I think that they can do it. What do you guys kind of think about this? The show's going to give some kind of opportunity to show what Black fatherhood might look like, right? To be able to, like, shine a light into what it really looks like. And we kind of get that, a little bit of that, just in the way in which her friend was struggling with, like, postpartum depression and, like, how her husband was kind of, like, stepping up and all that. But now we're going to see it from a main character's perspective. How do you kind of see that unfolding? Well, I just have to say that I thought that that was like a waste of half of an episode. I mean, the fact that they were on a Scooby-Doo hunt for Amanda Seals, <laughs> I, I just wasn't really feeling that. <laughs> now, I had another point, but I, I will add that I was very much hoping that this was the way they were going to write her off of the show because I'm so tired of her oh, as, a, as a human and as a character. Ooh. I don't even want to spend any more time talking about her here, but like, that's, that was my hope that she was being written off and this was the way they were going to do it. Same here, man. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's cold. That must be really like some behind the scenes tea with Issa and Amanda Seals that they would kill her off the show. But no, Tiffany will be back again. I think they did a good job of kind of like highlighting what it could look like for anyone who's struggling with mental illness or postpartum depression or anything like that, right? So on the outside looking in, you would look at this woman and say, oh, she has it all, right? Like she's married, she has a loving husband, she has the child, like all the things that the world kind of says you're supposed to want. And even with that, there is still a struggle. And I think the fact that it was happening in front of everyone, right? but no one really recognizing it until the glass was broken, so to say. I think it was kind of well done. And, and yes, was it a B story to like the ultimate story of the show? Sure. But I think that it was a powerful moment, even in the sense of like, it kind of did make all like the friendships kind of converge. So it gave the opportunity for Issa and Molly to kind of talk and work some things out. And, you know, like I said, it did highlight what it could look like with postpartum depression. But let's kind of go back to what I was talking about. What do you think it's going to look like in terms of the opportunity to show what, like, Black Fathers is going to look like? I think the storyline that they painted here is 
not unique, but it's going to be definitely a challenging portrayal because you have the fact that he just received and accepted this job offer in another city. He had just rekindled a relationship with an ex, had kind of buried the feelings or at least the, the, the rapport he had with canola oil. So like you look at those things and now you kind of have to be a long distance lover and a long distance father, or you have to give up on what it seemed like, or we have been positioned as his dream job. So like, what does that mean for you as a man when you're kind of forced to choose between love of your life, love of the family to come and love of the career pursuits that you had been kind of grinding for your whole life? Yeah, but the, 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 quite the unique thing about it, and I think this is the genius of Issa Rae, is that this is something that women do all the time. And that might be a reason why there's some postpartum depression that plays in some cases. A bit of resentment, right? You know, the fact is that there's a ton of women who have dreams and aspirations and, and career goals, but unlike with men, babies actually take up a good amount of time in a woman's life. It's like what you're taught you have to be when you're young a good hands-on mother. So I think in this case, because his conscience won't allow him, Lawrence is going to have to put everything aside, everything that he finally was able to accomplish. And the fact that he was actually coming to terms with who he's supposed to be as a professional, he's going to have to now sacrifice that in order to be a good father. I think you'll kind of see how a male would deal with it. You might even see more like a masculine version of postpartum depression. I think it's going to cover a lot of different unique themes on what parenthood is and fatherhood is in this new age and what happens when the roles are reversed when a man has to sacrifice so much where normally it's the woman who's sacrificing so much. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you touched on that point, Jeff, because that's exactly where I was going, right? Like my thought and I think the thoughts of the show were, what if the shoe's on the other foot, right? Like how does a, a man respond in, in that situation? And for the actual show, how is the man of her quote unquote dreams going to respond to what the situation looks like? I think it's going to, you know, breathe some life into what things can look like for relationships in general and, and, and how the envelope has been kind of changed and, and pushed in, in many ways. I'm going to jump in and ask the, the real hard question. If you guys were Lawrence, what would you do? For me, you know, I feel about fatherhood and that's probably one of the greatest gifts that could ever happen in the life of anybody. Um, you do what you got to do. You know, there's, there's nothing better than being a parent, in my personal opinion. I'm a double drill on that, though, because like, yes, you can have this dream, this goal and see this as the greatest joy. But if it's not something that you planned and if it's with someone that kind of made the decision for you without you, are, do you still have that same energy? Of course. What else can you do? I mean, so I'll, I'll even get into a, maybe even a little bit more of a, and, and I won't touch on it too much, but what won't you do for your son? Like, I don't believe that Dwayne Wade wants to dye his wear red or wear a skirt, but I think that it shows solidarity and support for his daughter. So that just goes to show the limbs of that you would do to make sure that your child feels wanted and accepted. And it just shows a love that shows no bounds. It's that you're going to put what's normal but what comes natural to you in regards to maybe being a professional, that's great as fun and dandy, but ultimately what matters more is the upbringing of your child. So I don't think that, for me at least, I don't think I would have as hard of a time dealing with that. Of course, it's going to be difficult knowing that your partner that you're starting a life would, with, you know, in between Issa and Lawrence, that might harm that relationship, but Really, I mean, I really think that Issa's going to understand and probably fall more in love with Lawrence with showcasing that he can be a great father and handle this situation with class. I think that's a great way to look at it. I question even myself if I was in those shoes, how I'd handle it. But Sam, what, what you think, man? If you're Lawrence, how do you handle that? I think much of what Jeff said, I kind of align with. What I would say is life is pretty uncertain anyway. So like, as much as we want to plan and then, you know, create a path for us, sometimes like things happen and sometimes we have to be flexible and agile with, with the way things work. There's no reason that in many ways, like Laura's still can't have the other thing, can't have the career while having the family, right? But right now the, the family part is what you have to deal with. I think absolutely you kind of have to jump right in 
full steam ahead, right? Like you, you have to do that piece and, and, you know, be willing to, although it's not ideal, give love and support and everything to your child, even though it may not be with the woman that you thought it might be with. And I kind of think what, what Jeff is saying might have some merit in terms of like how the woman he does want to be with might view him. But right now it's not even about that. It's really about like, how do I love and nurture and bring this person into this world and make them feel supported and accepted and all that fun stuff? I'm a little jaded if I answer them myself, not because of my own life experience, but because of stories I've heard, right? And as you watch him kind of wrestle with hearing that information as Condola gave it up, he asks the question, he's like, is it mine? Or something to that effect, right? And neither of you touched on it, which is why I'm kind of going back to that. Like, if it's with a woman who you didn't have a long-term relationship with, and I don't think that was the case for them, right? So you have, like, you kind of dating for a while and you kind of go through the motions and, you know, all of a sudden you have this surprise that's going to change your life and not just change your life in the way that, like, new life does it, but it's going to alter the course of the life path that you had set yourself up on. Do you not have that doubt of, like, hey, is this mine? And the reason why I say I'm kind of a little jaded from stories I've heard, and I want to give a shout-out to Black Fathers Facebook group, which I think has tens of thousands of members and like I see these stories from guys all the time about like child support and like finding out the kids weren't theirs and kind of all the struggles that they go through with baby moms and things of that nature which isn't my own life experience but like it's wisened me up enough to know that you have to ask those questions right if that was the case and like this is going to change again the whole course of your life do you not factor that in at all because like again you guys didn't touch on it which is why I'm drilling down on it like do you not even have that suspicion of what if it's not mine I mean, of course you have that suspicion of whether or not it's your child or not, but you cross that bridge when it comes. And you ultimately, if you're in Lawrence's position, you have to prepare for it. I, I pray to God that it is his child because when you spend that much time preparing for a child mentally, you become attached to the idea of being a father. So I would personally feel probably more devastated with him not being a father in a case where he would be proven to be the father and he would lose out on a relationship with Issa. That would be hard. But as far as Issa and Lawrence's relationship, I just think it's going to be a tough road initially, but it's fresh, right? It's fresh because Issa and Lawrence were thinking about all the possibility. You know, they were rekindling things. They were the people that they were meant to be. Currently, right now, they're the version of themselves that each one of each other wanted, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I mean, I think another portion or layer to all of this is that when we think about fatherhood, like how much of our view of fatherhood comes from that generation before us, right? So like we feel this duty and responsibility, which anyone should as a new parent, but we feel like I think our generation, especially as black men, we feel this duty to kind of be better than the men before us. So in in Lawrence's case, especially like you see a guy that's kind of stepping up, grinding, trying to get to a certain level. And now he's going to be faced with that decision to kind of be a father, maybe a little bit before he was ready. But as you guys mentioned, he's probably going to step into that role and do great because you want to be better than the men before you. So my question now is just like how much of how you guys approach those things do you think might be impacted by the men before you, either in your life directly or just the generation and stories that you heard of black men and their relationships as fathers with their children? I think how you repeat it or how you go about it is we remember all the hurt and disappointment that we experienced from lack of present fathers. So if you're a good person and if you're a caring person, then the last thing you want to do is have somebody else feel that kind of pain. I can speak to my personal life. I didn't have much pain associated with the treatment of my biological father towards me. But as far as how I approach my personal relationship with my wife, my biological father had over 20 children. For me, I know that's a recipe for disaster because I'm in my 20s meeting some of my siblings for the first time, and that's a huge cross to bear. You know, that's a, a lot of way to establish those relationships. So because I know how inconvenient that can be, I make it my priority to be an official faithful black male, very committed to my wife, you know, but also any relationship because of that basis. I, I just know that no matter how much money you have or how much personality you have, you can't be the father that you're meant to be when you have that many children or you're dealing with that many relationships or dealing with that many baby mamas. You know, I even see how that type of situation can spill into the actual siblings. You have siblings from one baby mother 
who says, oh, we don't talk to those kids because so-and-so cheated on me at this particular point. So that, that drama actually spills on into the siblings. So that's how it worked for me. And I mean, I, I know just from a lot of my friends I come in contact with, those who have had very fractured relationships with their parents or fathers, they do everything in their power to do the opposite for their children. Trevor, you're right how the generation before us does like shape our perspective on like fatherhood. So me, I'm one of five kids. My father actually recently passed away. But for me, in that scenario, and to answer a question you had asked before, and then kind of connecting this, so like the uncertainty of whether the child is yours or not, like, I think that you kind of have to still like jump in and like you will, those questions eventually get answered. But I do think that if you know, or you were, you've had the opportunity to grow up and have like that male figure in your life and be given some guidance and having someone who could really like shape and mold and do all those things for you, why wouldn't you want to be able to do do and return the same for someone else, right? And I think that that's something that, you know, going back to the show, I, I think that's something that Lawrence would have to partake in. Like that is part of the role. And, and it does take a village to kind of like raise a child, but it, it absolutely does like take a father as well, taking the, you know, the time along with being a part of the, the entire like family unit. So yeah, it totally should shape the way you kind of respond to things and shape the way in which you want to be involved and connected to this child. You're absolutely right. And the point, I think as a generation, we generally want to be as good for those of us who had good father figures or much, much better for those of us who who didn't have quite as good of a relationship or a bond with the guy who fathered us. So, you know, we're recording this coming up on Father's Day uh, 2020. So as we kind of come up on that day and people hear it a little bit after, but what did Father's Day mean to you as a kid versus like how you look at it today? Wow. Uh, For me, what did Father's Day mean? really meant a day where we got to do the things that my dad would like, right? So he was always the kind that wanted his kids around. And if we could, he'd like simple stuff like, let's go to the park and do a picnic. Things like that were like simple, right? That he would like. So it would also kind of coincide with, for me, being very specific to me, like my parents' anniversary was always kind of right around when Father's Day was. So it was always kind of like just a thing that we would do all kind of like celebrate together. So Father's Day was just really that day that would be all together. And whether that was going to a park or trying to do a barbecue or going to like a baseball game, because that was what you wanted. Like that's what Father's Day meant to me. As I got older, I certainly spent a lot of time with my dad and he certainly spent a lot of time kind of like pouring into me. Right. So that's why I, fatherhood and Father's Day and everything kind of like connected to that, you know, is something that means means a great deal to me and, and kind of the way I operate and think. I definitely had some good Father Day experiences. For those of you who don't know, I, so I have two dads. I have my biological father and I have my stepfather who raised me for a good portion of my childhood. And um, he came into my life when I was about three years old. So, and he was especially close with his father. So, I would probably say most Father's Days, we actually went down to his father's house and it was kind of like a frat party. Now, when I turned, you know, probably my late teens, like 16, 17 years old, I got more familiar with my biological father. And then Father's Day became extremely difficult for me because I felt that I was ultimately betraying my stepfather, which I never called him my stepdad um, because he's been such, you know, a, a great male figure in my life, right? And I actually have his last name. But I still needed to figure out that part of me. You know, why am I the way I am? You know, naturally, genetically, right? It almost became like a pick and choose. Who do I honor? Who do I celebrate? Am I going to uh, drive down to go spend time with my stepdad? Or am I going to do drive to the prison to go spend time with my biological father on Sunday? What do I tell my stepfather if I'm going to the prison? No cell phones allowed. Do I call him very early in the morning and just tell him I'm going to work that day? So it became a like a mental tug of war for me. And something I just came to terms with a few years ago, where to the point where I said, you know what? They're both a part of me and they both contributed a great deal to who I am as a man. Uh, one by nurture and one by nature. And I think your environment and also your genetics play a great deal on who you are. So it's almost like poetry at this point. And I look forward to Father's Day this year. And as far as me in the future, 
I can't wait to be a dad. And I know I'll be a good dad. And I'm surrounded by a lot of great fathers. And not to go too much into our personal lives, but watching my good friend, Mr. McNeil, a team back, excellent father. You know, I, I look forward to um, the day that be there. My future daughter or my future son can play with his child. Appreciate that. But it's dope to hear the adoration and reverence that you guys have as, as you kind of remember, you know, your experiences with your dads. Um, for me, it was, and as we was like prepping for the show, it was probably like the first time I really thought about it. Like as a kid, you know, my father, my biological father, I say that like I got another father to reference, but my biological father was, you know, incarcerated for a large portion of my adolescence and died shortly as, into my adulthood. So we never had much of a relationship and I don't have any memories or like any ties really there. But like I was lucky enough to have father figures through the course of my life. And I think it was never like a thing of like, oh, it's Father's Day. It was just kind of like it's another day, another day in the house or, or whatever we was doing. But I do remember at some point, at least I think one of my mother's boyfriends, shout out to Henry, if you ever hear this or whatever, but big shout out to him. I remember, I think I may, maybe I got him a card or a tie or I think maybe I got a basketball or some little, you know, you're a kid, you buy like little cheap gifts. And I think I remember as I was like in my adolescence trying to offer him this gift, I remember feeling bad that he didn't have a kid. And like, I felt bad that he couldn't claim fatherhood. So like, I thought I was giving him a gift to like make him feel better about the day. But like getting older and looking back on it now, that's a tremendous step for him to like take care of some child that's not your own and you're not married to that woman. You know, he looked out for me and took care of me, like showed me lots of things and, and gave me lots of support. But I was like worried that he couldn't call me his son. When in fact, again, getting older, it was probably the total opposite. Like he was probably trying to do what he could to make sure I didn't feel left out or left behind or whatever it is. And that's incredible looking back on it. Right. And like yeah. thinking about how many men step into the picture and, and, you know, we'll get into shout outs later. But like, it's incredible how many men kind of step up in those roles. And Jeff, you know, Mr. Brooks is a great example of that. They step into those roles when it's not their biological child, take care of them and show them that love. So that's what I think about, like, as my father did as a kid. And looking back on it, it's kind of funny how that all played out. Yeah. Shout out to Henry. I think there's a narrative because if you sign on to Black Twitter, you'll see Black men attack for being uh, fuckboys or whatever. But for just as many fuckboys out there, there are several men who are stepping up. And I learned how to treat a woman from Mr. Brooks, my stepfather. I see the fact that he was able to take me in. And honestly, because he came into my life at such a young age, I never even believed that I had a biological father. I always believed that he was my natural father for a good portion of my younger childhood. And even when my younger brother was born, his actual natural born son, I still didn't feel a lack of love, you know? I mean, clearly, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a difference. I think every parent, whatever, whatever you want to say it or not, has a favorite. So that might be the case. But at least for me, I always appreciate the fact that I didn't really feel that that much. I think sometimes as a parent, you really can't help it. But for me, at least, he did a very good job on showing me love. And even to this day, as close as I am with my mother. No, and that's another thing we can definitely talk about as far as relationships with mothers compared to fathers and how Mother's Day is celebrated in comparison to Father's Day. But yeah, we, we still talk. We kick it. I just sent them a gift this weekend. He very much appreciated it. Yeah, man. Thinking about Father's Day now, again, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it, but it's still like a weird thing, right? Because it's definitely not like Mother's Day, to your point, Jeff. But that brings me to another point. And as a child of a single mom, I do feel for the folks that have to carry that burden and take on this story. But I got to ask the question of, is it a legit thing, right, to wish a woman happy Father's Day? I'll jump into this one because I ain't afraid. I understand it. I understand that there's a great deal of pain. But I just think that, you know, ultimately, fathers are fathers and mothers are mothers. And if you happen to step up and be a super mom, then you should receive all of the adulation, all the applause on Mother's Day. That's it. Because even if you personally have a bad relationship with your child's father, there are several fathers and maybe a few fathers that you may know in your personal life. It may not be your father, but it might be a brother of yours. It might be an uncle. It might be a cousin. It might be a coworker. There's plenty of fathers to celebrate. And I think that we have to try to do our best not to make certain things about ourselves. Ultimately, that's it. I mean, I get it. You know, there's a lot of 
mothers who are doing dual duty, but I also think it distracts from the, from the fact that there are a lot of good fathers out there and it shifts the focus, especially in our community. I think that for those fathers, especially the black fathers who are doing the right thing, they deserve the credit because they're doing the right thing despite what the media is saying, despite what society is saying. And Trevor, I think we spoke about this early in the week in regards to just the amount of involvement that black fathers have in their children's lives. I think that the generalization or the stereotype of the black father is unwarranted. Like I said, we all brought up examples of fathers in our lives, right? So, of course, Trevor, you know, you spoke about your father not being present in your life, but there was a gentleman who stepped up to the plate. And Sam, you know, we all know about your pops, great gentleman. And I had someone who still is a great male figure in my life. And even my biological father, who hasn't necessarily been present because of incarceration, we still talk, he still sends me letters, and it played a great deal into my development. And I don't feel like I'm lacking anything from him. I have never received a gift from my biological father. He can't give me a gift. He's incarcerated. I send him money and I buy him books, but he still pours a lot into my soul, even with him being where he's at. So I guess to kind of bring it back, you know, I think Father's Day should be about the fathers. And if we can just kind of just sit back and tough it out for that particular day, Mother's Day will be here again in May. So we'll show you guys double the love or ladies double the love on that day. Yeah, I think as Father's Day is about showing men and father figures love on that day. It's not to take anything away from women and mothers and, you know, the amazing job that women do. I mean, you know, in the first episode, we shouted out Black women for supporting and being the matriarchs of the family and taking on that role, right? And how all of it is all kind of connected, right? Really, Father's Day is just about celebrating good men and it might not be the necessarily be the the man you had this child with but there's certainly a man or someone in your life that is helped support or given you you know resources and extra love you know and I think that that's really what what Father's Day is about so although I'm not a father like I think I'm a good uncle right and I think when I get calls and stuff from my nieces and nephews like those things are great and beneficial for me I'm also around a lot of people who our young fathers, right? And, you know, being able to, like, recognize them and the great things that they do. So, you know, when we talk about Father's Day, that's all it is. It's just about, it's about highlighting and giving love and support to those men. It's not taking away from what women do, what mothers do, because we all know, like, what a mother's job, how hard being a mother is. Yeah, I think for me, it's, and I have women in my family that are definitely like holding down both sides of the fort on that regard. So I don't mean to disrespect any single moms out there. There is a clear difference, right, in, in what a father does. And it's not so much, you know, taking care of the house or taking care of the kid, but there's just some things that a father can do that a mom can't. And that reminds me of like, there's this older guy on YouTube that like created this channel of like, it's called like, dad, how do I, or dad, can you show me how to do this or whatever? Um, And it's this older guy that's just showing basic things like, let me show you how to change a tire. Let me show you how to fix a leaky sink. Let me show you how to, how to put some things together. And there's stuff like that, you know, shaving, like your mom's not going to be able to teach you or, and I don't want to generalize, sorry. So like that some or many moms may not be able to show you how to do. And there's other things that you really look forward to doing with the dad specifically, right? That for as much as your mom can kind of come there and show you how to throw a fastball or whatever else it's going to be, it's just a little different when there's a dad there. So say all that to say, you deserve all the adoration and respect and, and props that you get on Mother's Day. Please, please, please leave the Father's Day for the male figure in their lives. So, gentlemen, I think we covered Father's Day and kind of what it means for for certain people and, you know, especially still praising mothers and the stuff that they do and they have their own individual day. But there's a new holiday coming, right, that the world is now starting to, like, readily accept. And that's going to be actually this upcoming Friday, June 19th, which is called Juneteenth. Gentlemen, how do you kind of feel about the world jumping on this to maybe appease black people? Yeah, well, first I want to shout out Kenya Barris, uh, creator of Blackish and Black AF or Black as Fuck, because on both shows he did some specials. And I think for a lot of people, it introduced Juneteenth to the masses. So shout out to him. 
and shout out to all those who are pushing the conversation forward. Now, I might have made a joke on the podcast earlier weeks. I may have not, but they're going to probably start selling Black Lives Matter shirts in Target in a few months. So I think you see a bit of commercialization of the Black struggle. I think awareness is definitely necessary, but I also don't want us to get distracted as a collective, right? To be easily satisfied by a day off from work or from uh, a flag raising at your local city hall. Because ultimately, what does it really mean? Does it mean that people are going to start respecting us more? Most Americans are aware of the story of slavery and when slaves were freed. So unless it really speaks about educating the masses on the time of slavery and the time leading after slavery, I really don't see, I'm not going to say much of a point, but I, I certainly don't see how this can really change much of anything in our society. I think, honestly, it might even just add a little bit more resentment if it doesn't come with anything educational. I think you're going way too highbrow on this because the reality is people like to barbecue, man. People like to get together. They like to drink. They like to celebrate. And they love a day off. So, like, if you take it, and I don't want to reduce it to just that, but if you take it at the face value of that, People enjoy a reason to celebrate. Now, the education behind why is a larger question, right? But like, who's turning down a day off? So shout out to Governor Cuomo and all the corporations around the country that are enacting this change. Because who's turning down an extra day off? Not me. So Trevor, let me ask you a question. So we all have friends from all over the globe, right? All different races and backgrounds. How do you feel Juneteenth, 2023? Some of your Caucasian friends are, are now walking around with red, black, and green shirts the same way that people go to Old Navy and buy 4th of July shirts. <laughs> like, <laughs> how does that make you feel? I remember those $5 Old Navy 4th of July shirts being a hot seller every year, circa 1998 or whatever. But I don't necessarily want to see that. Like, that kind of feels like folks down in Native American get-ups for, at Coachella in LA, right? Like, it just feels like you're just kind of taking it to the extreme in the no moment. appropriation, right? Yeah. So, like, I don't really want it to go there. But at the same time, you don't... I don't know if you can take the half without the whole in this situation, right? Like, so if we're saying we want people to stand beside us, if we're saying that we want solidarity, if we're saying we want people to become true allies, if the acknowledgement and celebration of this day really does take over the nation, how can you say, hey, not you? We, we want to celebrate this, but not you. You, yeah. you can go sit down somewhere. Yeah, no, I know. I definitely feel you. And you know what? I actually have a great sense of pride of seeing, you know, a, a lot of people from different races wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. I mean, it, it, it certainly brings a smile to my face. So it was just... You know, a devil's advocate question, but I think it's definitely something that we should come to expect that as black Americans are fully embraced as humans, that you will see more of this. So we have to come to terms with that. This also comes with a price that our culture ultimately is, is going to be released and it's not going to be just our culture pretty soon. It's going to be a culture for us to share with everybody. And we've been doing that with hip hop, but I mean, it's just you're going to see more of that. I'm for it, honestly. Like when we think about like what we're celebrating with that and the why, like I remember this kind of figuratively coming across my desk as like a thing, right? Like, oh, should we kind of tie something in with Juneteenth? And partially because it wasn't something that I had studied up on in school or read much about. And I even take some African-American studies classes in college. My first real understanding of what Juneteenth is probably came from Atlanta an episode they did on it and like black AF and like you, you see these depictions of just overly bougie people kind of celebrating this moment and like it just didn't connect with me right like as a thing that I wanted to be associated with and I wonder how many other people felt the same way about it prior to this moment. Speaking about overly bougieness uh, did you gentlemen get a chance to catch J. Cole's new song Snow on the Bluff, where he speaks on the climate of everything right now and uh, where wokeness is. I heard a little bit of it, man, just before we hopped on, man, but I'm gonna feel like I could use a little refresher, man. All right, let's, 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 let's run it back. Man. Yeah, run that back.
Niggas be thinking I'm deep, intelligent, fooled by my college degree My IQ is average, there's a young lady out there, she way smarter than me I scroll through her timeline in these wild times and I started to read She mad at these crackers, she mad at these capitalists, mad at these murder police She mad at my niggas, she mad at that ignorance, she wear her heart on her sleeve She mad at the celebrities, low key I be thinking she talking about me Now I ain't no dummy to think I'm above criticism So when I see something that's valid, I listen, but shit There's something about the queen tone that's bothering me She strike me as somebody blessed enough to grow up in conscious environment With parents that know about the struggle for liberation and in turn they provide her with a perspective and awareness of the system and a fairness that afflicts them and the clearest understanding of what we gotta do to get free and the frustration that feels the worst seems to come from the fact that most people don't see just cause you woke and I'm not that shit ain't no reason to talk like you better than me how you gonna leave when you attacking the very same niggas that really do need the shit that you saying instead of conveying you holier come help us get her to speed shit it's a reason it took like 200 years for our answers it's just to get free these shackles be locking the mental way more than the physical I look at freedom like trees can't grow up for us like overnight hit the ghetto and slowly start planting your seeds Fuck is the point of you preaching your message to those that already believe what you believe I'm also fucking retweet, most people are sheep You got all the answers but how you gon' reach If I can make one more suggestion respectfully I would say it's more effective to treat People like children, understanding the time and love and patience that's needed to grow This change is inevitable but ain't none of us seen this before Therefore we just gotta learn everything as we go I struggle with thoughts on the daily, feel like a slave to somehow to save And no coins to buy his way about a slavery, thinking just maybe In my pursuit to make life so much better for me and my babies I done betrayed the very same people that look at me like I'm some kind of a hero Because of the zeros that's next to the but look here, I promise I'm not who you think Ran into this nigga outside of the store yesterday He said something that had me like, wait He was like, cold, appreciate what you been doing My nigga, that's real, but damn Why I feel faker than snow on the bluff Or maybe cause deep down I know I ain't doing enough Alright, let's start with you, Sam You got a chance to hear J. Cole Snow on a bluff. What's your takeaways from it? Uh, he said a lot. Yeah, he said a lot. You know, this is kind of like my first time actually listening to it, and obviously have to give it a few more listens and you know read some lyrics to really kind of draw like my connections or whatever parallels he's trying to make. But I think this is some of what what we're talking about, like the education piece, right? Like I think people will now jump into something that they might not necessarily know, right? And it's really incumbent upon like all of us to do some research, talk to some people and, and really do the things so that we know what we're talking about. And, you know, and also not necessarily cast away people who don't. Yeah. I'll, have it, I'll give it a few more listens. But on that, and again, similar to like as, as we were just talking about Juneteenth, like to me, J. Cole is coming out hands open, arms out, kind of saying, hey, I don't really know everything about this. I didn't grow up like you might have grown up with the benefit of of having people to kind of bring me into that fold and educate me on things. So like if someone's kind of approaching it from that standpoint and saying, hey, I don't know everything, but please just don't talk down to me about it. I'm trying to learn in the best way that I know how. How do you fault someone for that? Because I mean, on, on my timeline, at least he was getting ethered. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's unfortunate, right? Because, I mean, there's a, a lot of anger on Black Twitter. And at this point, it's like, what do we do with that anger? I think, well, at least what I heard from the song, J. Cole speaks almost about the disconnect, right? The two Black cultures, you have the middle-class Black culture, and then you have the hood culture. You have, uh, you have the Black intellectual, and then you have the person who may be a product of public housing. I can speak from my experience in my circle as the woke guy, right? Because for me, my parents gave me black history books and my aunt Dottie was a dance doctor or whatever who grew up in Montclair and we celebrated Kwanzaa. And for me, when I got grounded, I had to read books to get off punishment and that was a strategy championed by the upper middle class. And I would normally read books about black empowerment. So it's like this unfair expectation that we place on everybody to, to have the same amount of understanding about certain subjects. And it's also just another take on culture. And Dave Chappelle talked about it in his special 846. But like, do white people talk about problems through Taylor Swift or like David Letterman or Brad Pitt or their musical culture figures and their actors? That's not the case. So why is it that we expect our celebrities to be thought leaders? And ultimately, they probably spend most of their time fine tuning their craft, not reading books on wokeness and 
and social justice. I mean, everyone can't be expected to know everything. So I think that J. Cole speaks on that and also talks about that there's definitely more qualified people that could take on that role, that we need to get out of embracing celebrities and follow people who are more qualified to address our issues. They're out there. I feel like it's the flip side of that is though like, I do hear the argument and I apologize because I've I've literally never heard of this woman no name before any of this. I don't know her history. I don't know her expertise. I don't know what type of music she puts out. But at least from what I did gather was that she was basically pointing him to a book. And that is a fair argument that nothing stops you from opening a book. And, and, you know, you hear that old saying of like, if you want to keep something from black people, put it in a book. So J. Cole isn't helping his case by saying, indirectly saying, I'm not going to go ahead and open the book for myself, even though she's kind of pointing him to it. So like, I think there's that. But like, again, there's a difference between not having the the historical knowledge or, or the historical kind of information kind of embedded in you and then not taking the opportunity to learn when something's placed in front of you today. Again, we, we might be missing out on like a really good opportunity here, right? Because I think what, what can happen is people can take the time to kind of like rediscover like all the history of like what black culture is, right? Like also like, I think rather than going at each other and having certain expectations, how about just having the conversation and saying, hey, this is how I learned. And th- these are the great things that have happened. This is how the pyramids were built. It was through science and math that we created, right? Like, so I think, you know, if, if people understand what, where they come from, it gives them really an opportunity to know where they're going. So I think right now is that perfect kind of time. Yes, because, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be real here, right? Like, so for me, I didn't even learn about Juneteenth until maybe like five years ago, right? Like, and also like, you know, my experience is different too, right? Whereas, you know, my family came from the Dominican Republic and like, that's just not a part of something we talk about, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that I can't learn and it doesn't necessarily mean that I am not ready to or want to learn. I think we can't get bogged down in arguing. I think here is the prime opportunity for for people to learn. Yeah. And the thing that I think was most impressive is that J. Cole is w- willing to learn, right? He's willing to put himself out there and um, and certainly not try to uh, lie about how educated he is. I mean, this is somebody who I always thought was a conscious rapper, but he's telling us that, hey, there's people out there better than me. So I appreciate J. Cole for, you know, speaking his truth on record and allowing himself to be vulnerable because he certainly got at certain people and he definitely accepted the fact that people would get at him. And it seems like he's okay with that. And J. Cole is not someone I actually really cared for as an artist very early on in his career. But with each project he does, um, I truly appreciate him more. So shout out to uh, Dreamville and Mr. Cole, man. Thank you for cleaning up that slander because that would have been a whole other discussion. Yeah, on, man. Uh, <laughs> I was in a different stage in my life, man. It's, was, a lot of, it's a lot of people disrespecting Cole out here, man. No, nah, man, he's cool, bro. He definitely... Uh, Grew on me a great deal. He's actually one of my favorite rappers now. Um, I was definitely tripping and wilding there. I was uh, still in my Jim Jones capo, Killer the Dawn, Joel Santana, way back then. That's making rap for grown men, for the father figures. We covered a great deal today, man. We covered Black Fatherhood. We covered Juneteenth. And we covered our friends in the Lawrence Hive. Now the last thing we have to figure out is where the heck is Latoya? That is going to be the most sought-after question going into season five of Insecure. So, Jeff, I, I hate to ruin this for you, but if you go on, like, the HBO, uh, like, Secure website, it does kind of show you, like, a reunion episode of what happens with Latoya. So it's like a four-minute clip. Because I, I had that same question, like, are we ever going to find out? But, but, but we do find out what happened with Latoya. Do not ruin it for me. and Do not ruin it for everybody else listening. I just pray to God that she's found safe. All right, guys. Well, it's been fun. T-Mac, Big Easy. I'll check you out this week. We'll catch up next week on the For Real For Real podcast. Happy Father's Day to all of the people celebrating Father's Day and Juneteenth. Absolutely. And, and for those fortunate enough to still have like their fathers and their fathers in their lives, yeah, make, make sure you praise them, hug them, Give them all the love, you know. These men are going to 
hopefully help shape who you become as you kind of grow and, and, you know, become the person you are. So all the love in the world to all the fathers, specifically black fathers. We love y'all. And now before we wrap up, I just really want to shout out my two brothers, uh, Sam and, and Trevor. We initially discussed doing a Father's Day special and with them not having their fathers here in, in the physical sense, it took a lot for them to open up, man. So it was great hearing that from you and, and your perspective. And I definitely recognize, you know, how big this was. Um, so hopefully it was therapeutic. And I hope the audience sees how brave you guys are for doing that. So special shout out to you two, man. Much love to y'all. Word, man. Appreciate that. And before we hop off, I want to give a special shout out to, again, all the other father figures that are doing the work and stepping into the roles. Not just the boyfriends or the stepfathers, but the, the uncles, the cousins, the big brothers, everyone that's kind of taking on that role to make sure that, you know, that younger person in their lives um, grows up to be to be a better man or woman or non-binary person than you were, right? And that's an incredible investment in time. And that's what our society needs right now. It's just a lot more love, a lot more care, and a lot more attention to detail to making sure that, you know, the next generation grows up to be better than we were. So shout out to everyone doing the work on that. Thank you all again for listening. We'll be back next Monday. Now I know what it is, man. For real, for real. For real, for real. Also, don't forget, we really want to hear you guys' feedback. We're loving the buzz we're getting so far. But go ahead, hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, whatever it might be. We're on there. Again, if we're not on there, give us a shout. We'll make sure that the app is where you want to listen. Give us a shout. We'll make sure that the podcast is on the app that you want to listen to us on. Hit us up on Twitter, man. Instagram, whatever you want to do. Facebook, at FRFR, the podcast. We're on there, posting a little bit more. So, yeah, man, connect with us, rock with us. We'll be there for you, man. Checking in with y'all next week.